Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 22nd episode. Danny, 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 what have we been up to, man? It's been chaotic, huh? Yeah. <laughs> This has been one of the craziest, this will be one of the craziest months ever, ever. Isn't that what we said the month before that and the month before that? Yeah. <laughs> you sound pretty defeated when you're saying that. So we ran a, a Black Friday, Cyber Monday, whatever the hell that weekend is after Thanksgiving sale. And it went really, really well, which is great. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for your support. With that sale, we appreciate it, but it was a lot of work to get everything out on time. In addition to the fact that we are also getting ready to ship out the plant-built perks. So those of you who donated to our Indiegogo campaign in the summer, we are finally getting the last little bits of stuff that we need to get in so that we can ship it out to you. And thank you again, one, for donating, and two, for being so incredibly patient because this is not an exact science, and unfortunately we have so many different vendors creating different parts of the perks, and we have to wait for them all to come in before we can ship them out to you. But that's essentially going to be like 450 packages that need to go out. That's it? No no big deal whatsoever. <laughs> like be assembled with the correct t-shirt sizes, and then they need to make it to the right addresses. and whew. Yeah, I think we just finished decorating... How many 400 boxes, something like that? Oh, yeah. I decorated 400. Me. I decorated 400 boxes. I helped with about 100 You drew like them. a stick figure, man. Like right, one. Well, listen, I draw the best. If, if you get something from us and you see the stick figure and you like it, it's probably mine. <laughs> but as if that's not enough, <laughs> we are also moving on January 1st. So we have to pack up our house and our two offices to move them literally like a mile and a half away from here to another house in the dead of New England winter. And, um, of course, with your luck, it will be a blizzard. It will be a blizzard. Straight. If I have anything to do with it, it's going to be like sleet and snow with lightning behind it. It'll be awful. <laughs> you mean like our <laughs> wedding? <laughs> yeah. It was the coldest day <laughs> ever recorded in October? Like that. Yeah. So, basically, our life is just sitting in piles and piles of boxes like ripping our hair out right now <laughs> i was just telling your brother this Merry morning Christmas. it's like I f yeah i feel like no matter how little i sleep no matter how hard i work and no matter how focused i am that the amount of work that's ahead of us in the next two months there's just no possible way <laughs> that i can that i can maintain this and or get anywhere basically it's it's uh it's stressful. Yeah, but I mean, in the in the grand scheme of things, they're all like the best possible problems to have. It's like, oh, poor us. We have to ship out packages to the 500 people who donated their hard-earned cash to help us promote veganism and athletics. Seriously, and that's that's what keeps us going. Is, I mean, really, it's I can't express how thankful I am to even be in this position where we have the ability to work together with the community and everyone to do such awesome, awesome things together. Yeah, it's it's good. And then moving to this house will be really, really good for us because we won't have to try like move from office to office. Everything's going to be in one house, which is going to be awesome. We're going to set up the shop 
in the house itself, which is going to be interesting. And we are going to have a yard for our dogs, which is awesome because they want one so badly. And an apartment complex is just not a good place to have dogs. Yeah, I mean, even being home with them most of the time because we, we work at home. Exactly. And we're almost always around them. They still need to be outside a little more. They want to run own. free. Yeah, I think they'll be a lot happier. I mean, they used to be a lot happier when they had a yard when we, yeah. we lived in Oregon, so. So, this will all be good. This will be good. Let's focus on some more positive stuff. How was Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, for me, was actually the first time that I was, I had something to celebrate, basically. Usually, usually, usually during Thanksgiving, it's just straight up mourning for me because, you know, we're celebrating mass genocide with mass genocide and the slaughter of Indigenous I don't even want to people. think about yeah. how many turkeys and I think it's 30 billion it's just I disgusting. think it's 30 well billion. no it's like you know save the one that the president saves every year right right yeah anyway and every year I go through Thanksgiving it just gets worse and worse but this time around uh, I had something to be very thankful for. I've been the only vegan in my family for 10 years, and I don't exactly push my beliefs or ethics on others. I just pretty much lead my life and hope that by example that others are inspired. And another family member of mine, my sister Francine, has come full circle of her own volition and her own doing, and she went vegan last year. And to me, that was just the greatest thing in the world and something to finally be thankful for because now I have someone in my immediate family who truly understands how I feel, uh, especially during a time like Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was it was a really good Thanksgiving. We just had it here with my siblings. Obviously, it was a fully vegan Thanksgiving. My sister and her boyfriend are both 100% vegan, and my brother is very, very close. I think he's just not like into the label of veganism, which actually my sister used to say the same thing. She's like, I won't eat it, but like, I don't want to use the word vegan. It's too cool. And then she met a whole bunch of other vegans. She was like, all right, y'all are pretty cool. Like I'll call myself vegan, I guess. (laughs) So that was cool. My brother's close and we had so much food. It was awesome. Everything was so good. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw my Instagram post. My one plate that I had at Thanksgiving of food, I didn't go back up for seconds or anything, but I did have one plate that was roughly 2,000 calories in and of itself. I for sure had way more food than I would normally have, you know? But not like out of control Uh or anything like that, which was nice, you know? Just enjoy the day with your family and it was nice. Yeah, I still ate mindfully and and I was aware of what was on my plate. I just wasn't going to sit there with a scale or anything. That's ridiculous. So what are we talking about today, Giacomo? Injuries. How to avoid them, what happens when you get them, and how to treat them. Yeah, I mean, injuries are a real bitch, and they're kind of part of the territory of being a serious lifter. I would say probably like 90% of people who lift regularly will probably eventually get an injury of some kind. So it kind of sucks, right? Because you're lifting specifically to become stronger and healthier and to prevent your body from breaking down. And as you're doing this, you still wind up hurting yourself with these acute injuries. And setting yourself back and you end up on the sidelines and all that jazz. So, I mean, the first step to dealing with injuries is to not get them in the first place. So what are, what are some ways that you could avoid injuries? Well, let me preface that with saying, first of all, injuries are not 100% avoidable. But yes, you can take some measures to to minimize your risk of injury 
I'd say the first two things that come to mind when you mention that would one be properly warming up before yes. you work out. Yes. And the type of way that you warm up can can really help. Active stretching, I find, tends to be the most useful way for me to stretch and get. What do you mean by active stretching? Well, put it this way. Active stretching is when you don't hold the stretch for any more than, say, a couple of seconds, whereas opposed to a static stretch, which is what most people think about when they think about warming up and stretching, is holding a stretch for 20, 30 seconds at a time. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty commonly thought of that, you know, when we think of stretching, we think of like yoga or like, you know, reaching for your toes and hanging out there or something like that. But really stretching is any time that your muscle is lengthened. So like if I stick my arm out straight in front of me, I'm stretching my bicep just by doing that alone. Um, we think a lot about, you know, you stretch until you feel the stretch, but you don't even have to do that to necessarily qualify it as stretching. And sometimes stretching to the point where you feel the stretch too much before you work out can actually um, make your joints a little bit too loose. You want your joints to be loose enough that you can perform the movement, but you don't want them to be so loose that you lose your stability. Right. Or movement. you can't engage your muscles the way that you need to, and then you perhaps don't have as much force behind them. So by like active dynamic stretching, like walking lunges would be like body, just body weight. Walking lunges would be a great way to sort of open up the hips, stretch out the glutes. Windmills, if anybody remembers windmills from like uh, gym class when you were like seven years old, where you stand like a starfish and touch your right arm to your left toe and stand back up and then do the opposite. That's a good example. You know, you're kind of constantly moving, constantly stretching gently and coming back. I actually have a video up on YouTube of um, a dynamic stretching routine that I do before I work out, but I think it's private. Maybe I'll make it public for you guys. But properly warming up is so important and it's a pain in the ass. Like <laughs> when you get to the gym, we pretty much all want to just sort of jump into our workout. But taking the time to, you know, e like jog or use the elliptical or just the rower or something to just get the blood flowing in your body for five to 10 minutes and then doing some dynamic stretching can really make a big difference. Absolutely. And you can save the longer stretches for after your workout. Mm -hmm. How about warming up to your lift? Hmm. I think a lot of people discount how useful that can be. I know in the past I, well, let's make sure that everyone understands what we mean when we say warming up for your lift. And that's basically were you know performing the lift or exercise at a very low resistance level so let's say that your bench is usually 135 pounds on the barbell instead you would be warming up with say maybe half of that uh, so what's half of 135 I, I can't even math right now i'm so tired 67.5 something like well yeah no but we, <laughs> we can't even <laughs> micro load like that i'm totally geeking out here but 70 pounds and so maybe do bench press with 70 pounds on it, one, two, three warm-up sets. Perhaps maybe do the second set with 80 pounds, second with 90. Yeah, I mean, for me, anytime I'm going to do a big compound movement, I start with just the bar. I always start with just the bar just to get the mo motions down. And then I'll add 20 pounds and add 20 pounds and add 20 pounds until I get to my working weight. And that's usually how I like to warm up and I don't do a full set you know if I'm doing sets of 12 I'm not going to do every warm-up set with 12 reps but I'll do like five or six exactly you know just to 
get your body used to the motion, um, especially if you're working with heavier loads and you're working in that, you know, anywhere from two to eight rep range, that's pretty heavy stuff. And you don't want to just jump under that bar and just go right from there. One, you can injure yourself, but two, you're also probably cheating yourself out of a better set because you could probably do more or do it better if you were properly warmed up. And you can do this with every single exercise on your program, pretty much. Yeah, even, you know, bicep curls. I'll just pick up a pair of 10s and curl those for a few reps just to warm myself up to the motion. Then I'll start with my working weight. I think a a good way to look at it is the larger lifts, you maybe want to do two to three warm-up sets, whereas the smaller lifts, maybe one set would would suffice. Yeah, I think so. Um, What are some other ways to avoid injury? Well, I think that technique was probably the, the next most important thing to emphasize as far as avoiding injury. You know, there's a time and a place for forced reps and or cheater reps where you're not doing the full contraction without cheating a little bit. Um, but those reps are few and far in between. For the most part, your technique should be spot on because it's not about how much you lift it's about how you lift and what kind of contraction you're getting out of it furthermore if you don't lift with the proper form you know you might wind up tweaking another muscle that you're using to cheat to lift the form up so like for example say that you're trying to do gee i don't know a bicep curl right and now all of a sudden you're throwing your low back and your shoulder in it. Well, are you really looking to use your rotator cuff to do a bicep curl? It's not meant to be in that position and you could potentially aggravate it, for example. Absolutely. So, I mean, a lot of times when people injure themselves while they're working out, they're not actually injuring the muscle they're supposed to be working. They're injuring some other weird muscle. Uh, you know, not a lot of people work out their neck at the gym, but you hear about a lot of neck injuries. And a lot of times that's from holding your body in improper alignment or, you know, looking up when you're doing a deadlift or, or something like that. Proper form and making sure that you're using that could avoid a lot of those from the get-go. So another thing that you can do to help prevent injury is make sure that you spend some time focusing on strengthening your smaller muscles. Things that come to mind when I say this are particularly your rotator cuff, which are four tiny muscles underneath, inside your shoulder, right near the bones, the joint itself. And those are the muscles responsible for rotating your shoulder in its socket. And shoulder injuries are incredibly common. So, so, so common in weightlifting. And the reason for that is you know, imagine doing a shoulder press and you're getting stronger and you're getting stronger and your medial, frontal, and rear delt heads, the part of your shoulder that you can see when you think of like a big pumpkin delt, those will get stronger much, much faster than those tiny little muscles on the inside of your shoulder. So you want, and those are the ones that end up getting injured when you lift heavier. It's not that your, you know, front delt couldn't take it. It's that your rotator cuff couldn't take it. And rotator cuff injuries are incredibly difficult to heal. They take a lot of time off. And what you can do to prevent that from happening is one, make sure you're warmed up properly again, but also you can work on strengthening your rotator cuff in your downtime. 
Like you don't have to dedicate a full workout to it, but just like any other kind of mobility work, you should spend some time focusing on building up your rotator cuff to handle the heavier loads by doing very, very light loads at high reps for your rotator cuff. Yep, I had a rotator cuff injury about six years ago that I got from ego lifting. Thank God I don't do stuff like that anymore. And I am still recovering from that. You know, uh, it does take a long time and there's repercussions. Like, for example, I have some muscle imbalances that I'm working through. And even though my rotator cuff is pretty much healed up. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it can take a while to build back from these things, but it's totally possible. Well, that brings us to our next thing is ego lifting in and of itself. And what we mean by ego lifting is people who want to put up heavy weight, but they're not really strong enough to put up those numbers, but be damned if they're not going to try anyway. And you know, I think I think pretty much anybody who's spent a lot of time in the gym, we've all done this at one point or another where we're just like, yeah, yeah, I can do it. I can totally lift this weight. Or maybe you're trying to show off for somebody or whatever. And there is a degree that you have to push yourself past your comfort level when you're lifting. You know, if that, if you want to get stronger, it's going to be uncomfortable. But you also need to check your ego and, like, do you really think you can do this? Or do you hope you can do this? <laughs> because those are two very, very different things. And pretty much... Like Giacomo said, how much you build your muscles has very little to do with how much weight you're lifting as much as how you're lifting it and how many times you're lifting it. You know, the actual weight of the barbell or the dumbbell or the kettlebell, it is just one part of the equation of how much volume you're actually lifting. So it's better to lift what you can lift properly than lift more than you can lift improperly and hurt yourself. Okay, so let's say we give you the benefit of the doubt and assume you have done all of these things, but you still get injured. What do you do then? The second that something doesn't feel right when you're training, the very first thing you need to do is stop and yes. assess the situation. Yes, yeah, stop. Do not try to push through some weird pain while you're lifting. Just stop. Usually when you feel that initial pain, it's going to take a little bit of time for the inflammation to build up and for the injury to set in and you can do a lot more damage while that's happening by continuing to train for the rest of your session because you had to finish your workout exactly um a lot of athletes we have this like do or die sort of mentality where you know we're gonna get it done no matter what it takes and when it comes to injuring yourself like that's a really shitty mentality to have because you're gonna do a lot more damage and uh, stopping the second that you feel pain is I'm not talking about like muscle soreness or burning. I'm talking, you know, when you get a pain, <laughs> like if you're doing Romanian deadlifts and suddenly your hamstring pulls, you know, instantly just stop right then and there. And then don't do anything that makes that muscle hurt. This is very, very important. You know, if you injured your elbow, you automatically know that you're not going to do bicep curls. But you may not automatically think, well, I can't do rows. But if you do rows and it makes your elbow hurt, stop doing them. You're going to have to stop doing anything that hurts your injury, makes it feel worse. And that is a hard pill to swallow depending on what the injury is. But it is not going to get better until you actually stop. No, especially not when the inflammation initially sets in. Eventually... You know, you may come to a point where the the injury is sort of at bay. It's not gone, 
and maybe you want to consider training with much lighter loads to try to ease your way back into training. But until that injury has the has gone down, the inflammation specifically, it's best to lay off the body part completely. Yeah. So the next thing that I would do is when I got home, I would do a few things actually right away. I would ice it instantly. Just take a bag of frozen peas and some saran wrap and wrap it around wherever you're injured uh, pretty tightly. And it's going to hurt like a bitch for the first minute and a half. And then it's just numb. And then that's fine. I would also immediately pop ibuprofen. Um, 800 milligrams of ibuprofen acts as an anti-inflammatory. And that can be really, really good to one, get the inflammation down, two, get the pain to subside. But the thing is, is sometimes people take ibuprofen to mask their pain so that they can continue to train and they end up doing more damage. So if you're going to take some sort of anti-inflammatory, then you need to bear in mind that you are injured and to not do anything that's going to exacerbate that. Even if it doesn't feel like it hurts then, it will as soon as the ibuprofen wears off. You know, it's funny. Uh, it seems like such a simple solution. I think people try to complicate it when it comes to icing down an injured muscle. But I got to tell you, it's, I would say beyond the shadow of a doubt, it is the most helpful thing that I've ever done for any injury. And every time I think, oh, this is just silly and I don't do it, I pay the price. So ice, ice, ice as often as possible. It it really does help. As often as possible, but not for more than 15 to 20 minutes at a time. Uh, yeah. So you can do it, you know, five, six times a day if you want to, depending on how aggressively you want to rehab this injury. But you don't want to leave it on for more than 15, 20 minutes because it can cause like various like nerve damage. Your body shouldn't be that cold for that long. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. And it does serve a purpose. It's, it's to, you know, reduce the swelling and the inflammation. After that, there are other things that you should be doing to mm -hmm. rehab the area. Um, a couple other things, more natural remedies that I swear by for anti-inflammatory purposes are turmeric. Uh, we use turmeric capsules. They're in veggie caps. It helps if it is paired with black pepper. So if you can find a veggie cap that has turmeric and black pepper in it, that's super anti-inflammatory. And also tart cherry powder or tart cherry juice. Those are all very anti-inflammatory. Those are both very, very, very anti-inflammatory. So you can go ahead and take those as well or instead of ibuprofen. It won't have the same immediate and or pain relieving effect, but it, can, it will definitely help with inflammation. So the next thing I would do if it's the following day and it still doesn't feel any better at all is I would go get checked out by a professional. Physical therapist probably would be a good place to start. Physical therapist, chiropractor if mm -hmm. it's in your back. Um, massage therapist if it's sort of like a dull ache instead of a sharp pain. Yeah, you don't want to go to a massage therapist if it's a sharp pain because you could actually make it worse. Yes, and that's the, sort of the same thing with stretching. If it's a sharp pain, then you can make it worse by massaging yourself too much or stretching it out too much. So if it's an acute pain, the best thing you can really do is ice it take an anti-inflammatory, and then just leave it alone. Just, yeah, just leave it alone as much as possible. Deal with it, because if you loosen up and it has to spasm twice as hard, it's mm -hmm. just going to delay the, the healing process. The basically. sort of dull, achy, but persistent pains, you can be a little bit more aggressive in treating them. You can sort of massage them, foam roll them out a little bit, as long as it doesn't make the pain worse. 
like anybody who's foam rolled knows that it's not the most pleasant thing in the world, but there's a difference between that good pain that's helpful or like shit that really hurt. Um, obviously avoid that one. The other thing, and I'll talk a little more about it in detail later, are is doing some e-stim treatment. And traditionally, you would go somewhere like your chiropractor to get this done, and they would have a, a big machine with a lot of juice behind it that you can hook up all over to the, you know, in the affected area. But they have handheld ones now that are really useful. It's kind of funny how we found ours. We were in Vegas at the Olympia last year, and we were just walking around in the casino because <laughs> we don't drink yeah and we don't gamble nope so after we got <laughs> wasted vegas really the... wasn't much fun for us guys nope no but we did get wasted at the oxygen bar that was like, so much fun <laughs> yeah i know we found an oxygen bar and we were like oh all right that's different we can do that yep and while we were having fun at the oxygen bar <laughs> <laughs> they sold us on this little machine. They started. They hooked it up to us, and we're like, ah, whatever. Like, wait a minute, this really works. Yeah, the little one, the little oxygen bartender. I guess she came around and stuck these. They're like little sticky pads, and she put them on our traps, like on either side of our traps. And she did it to both of us. And she was just like, oh, you can just like play with this while you sit here at your oxygen bar, and it, it instantly made us both start like involuntarily shrugging over and over again and neither one of us had ever felt that sort of a feeling before so it was really really funny at the time long story short she totally sold us on it <laughs> like you think about getting sold weird shit in vegas this was like case in point we sat down for two seconds and talked to somebody and she sold us this 50 dollar piece of equipment whatever it's a year and a half later and we still use it weekly that is very true it's pretty awesome and this is the product we're going to review later so we'll hold off on talking about it more I will say, if you end up going to a chiropractor or a massage therapist or a physical therapist especially, if they give you certain exercises to do to help rehab your injury, almost always these exercises are going to f look and sound like they're completely useless. And I know because I've been given exercises that look and sound like they're completely useless and I'm doing them and I'm just like, this is so stupid. This is not even an exercise. Because, you know, we just have different thoughts of what exercises are. No. Do the exercises. Do what they tell you to. If they're telling you to do some really, really strange, like hold a broomstick and turn it one way and then turn it the other way. And it's like, what is this doing? There is a reason for it. And do them diligently every day if you're serious about recovering your injury. And take a rubber band and expand it with your fingers, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Not only are they trying to help you fix your injury, they're usually trying to help so you don't get it again. Because typically, once you have injured an area, it's much more likely to get re-injured afterwards, especially if you don't rehab it properly. So other than that, really time. Time is going to be the biggest thing that you can do. And of course, that's the hardest thing that you can do for an injured body part is just take the time off from training it. Especially if you're like a, a real gym rat, that can be devastating. If that's your outlet, if that's your um, means of getting your stress out, if that's your hobby or your passion, being told like you can't train, this probably isn't going to heal for three months. So you can't train it at all. So what do you do then? Yeah. It's a, uh the mental 
aspect of recovery is something that people don't really think about until it hits them and it's it can be a real tough hurdle to overcome once getting injured you know not getting down on yourself and finding things to focus on other than what you were originally doing that caused the injury for example that's big yeah so what I usually tell my clients when they get an injury is don't stop doing don't stop going to the gym like that's your routine that's your habit keep it up because in all likelihood, it probably took you a long time to build that habit and it'll go a lot quicker to lose it. So keep going to the gym. And what you should do is focus on what you can train. And I can't stress this enough. If you view your injury as like, why did this happen to me? Oh, I hate this. You know, injuries suck. But you have to like reframe the way you think about it. And let's say you injured your shoulder. I mean, that's a lot of stuff you can't do. You can't do shoulders, most arm exercises, bicep, tricep exercises, chest, back. You've lost a lot of training that you could be doing, but you need to focus on what you can do. You can do so much lower body work and your legs can take a beating, man. They can take a real beating. So you can, can see, I mean, you could train your legs up to four times a week, probably, And you may have to change up the exercises that you're doing. You know, like a regular back squat would be pretty tough on your shoulder. But you could do the hack squat. That's a great, often overlooked exercise. Um, For example, various types of leg presses, lunges, so many sorts of different things that you could do. And a lot of times you're going to find new and exciting ways to train the part of your body that you still can train simply because you haven't spent this much time on it before right and it's important also to take the same passion that you have for training and apply it to your rehabilitation work not only to make sure that you're healing your injury but also remember that you got hurt for a reason and there was something that needed to be built up that just wasn't built up fast enough to keep up with the rest of your body and remember this is actually your opportunity to balance out your body in a way so that you can keep moving forward yeah that's a great that's a really great point I mean injuries are your body's way of telling you something isn't right and you can take that time that you're missing training your whole upper body for example and use a good you know a fair chunk of that time to rehab yourself and again you don't want to overdo it because sometimes that can make it worse but focusing on rehabbing yourself is great And also focusing on what you can train is probably going to be your best outlet during times of injury. Now, let's say you have a back injury. Back injuries are tough, really, really tough, because depending on the severity of the back injury, uh, you may not be able to train really at all. You may not be able to jog you may not be able to do legs or arms uh, and certainly won't be able to do them heavy so what do you do instead of that well there's a few things that you could do again you can focus on things that you can do like you could probably still build some really sick forearm strength for example or calves probably can ride a recumbent bicycle probably can swim so those are some things that you could do But something completely different, and a lot of us struggle with this, is that life does not 
revolve around physical fitness <laughs> and the gym all the time. It doesn't. You could, <laughs> you could either find a different passion for the time being. Like, what have you wanted to do? What have you wanted to do all this time? Uh, maybe you've wanted to take a certain class that you never got around to. Maybe you wanted to learn a language and you never have time to. There's a lot of other things that you can devote your attention to. Now, if physical fitness really is like, <laughs> if that really is your deal, you can spend some time learning to become a personal trainer. You know, that's actually much more sitting in front of a textbook than standing in a gym working out. So that's something that you could do. You could get other certifications, further your personal training certifications if you already have one. You could take a nutrition course. You could brush up on all these different sorts of things. Um, there's always something that we can learn more about, and most of us are just too busy to be able to find the time to do that. And if you can view a serious injury like a back injury as an opportunity to focus on those things, you're going to come out of the other side a lot better than if you just sat around feeling sorry for yourself. So once you start to heal up from an injury, you're going to want to ease yourself back into training. I would say, depending again on the severity of the injury, you probably don't want to go back to lifting with that body part until you're about like 90% better. And then you're going to want to go really, really light. Light, focus on form, go higher reps, full range of motion, or I suppose as much range of motion as your injury currently allows. Yeah, it really does depend on the individual, you know, how much your body has recovered and is able to to bear the, the load and the intensity of training again. But I'd say a good rule of thumb is to probably work at around 50% of the intensity that you normally would when you, when it's time to start using that muscle or that area that was injured and see how your body feels. I don't just mean for a day. I mean yeah, for several days. Because you could, you know, sit down and do a set of rows at half your working weight and be like, oh, yeah, that feels pretty good. I'm going to do more weight oh yeah, that feels pretty good. I'm going to do more weight. And then the next day you could feel absolutely awful. Some of these injuries take some time to set in. So just start with half the weight, maybe even less, depending on how severe your injury was, and then see how you feel the next day. Yep. And then if you feel okay, then you can try to move up, et cetera, et cetera, until you're back at your, your normal strength. I actually made that mistake last month. I... I don't know if I had a pinched nerve or a pull in my upper left trap. Something happened over there. And I took the week off and I'm like, all right, took my week off. I feel good. And I started to go at around 50% intensity, felt good. And kind of similar to what Danny said, I jumped, jumped back into it quick, 60, 70, 90% intensity inside of maybe three or four days. And my body wasn't having it. And I basically re-injured the area before it was completely healed. And Which then I had common. to take Exactly. You know, especially when you're trying to keep competitive and keep pushing forward, which I'm sure we all want to do. And But sometimes you just have to eat, take a step back, realize that you have to ease your way into it, maybe a little more than you'd like to. But anyway, the second time around, long story, very, very short, I took two solid weeks to 
to jump from 50% intensity to 100% intensity, and now I'm okay. Good, good take-home point there. I would say that was a long story made, like, medium short. <laughs> Just saying. So another thing that you can do, and you don't just this, – this is not something that you have to just save for injuries, but we've actually never talked about it on this podcast before, and we are both absolutely in love with it, and that is called occlusion training or blood flow restriction training. Now, blood flow restriction training sounds a little bit scary. Basically, this only works on your extremities. So this is something you can only do for your biceps, triceps, forearms, uh, quads, hamstrings, calves, exactly. etc. So what you do is you more or less, you take a tourniquet and you put it as close to your body as you can. So like if I'm doing my arms, I put it right under my armpit at the very, very top of my arm and I make it pretty tight. Um, not tight to the point where it's painful just standing there, but it's pretty tight. About 70% of the tension of the tourniquet. And then you do your working sets and you do them very, very lightweight, which is why this is so good if you are injured in your elbow or your knee or, you know, a muscle group in your arms or legs. It is awesome. You do like 20% of your one rep max. So, so think about that. So your joints and your tendons are getting so a break. To put that in perspective, my one rep max on a bicep curl, a dumbbell bicep curl, would be 35 pounds. I can curl a 35-pound dumbbell one time. So 20% of that is seven and a half pounds. <laughs> so I put the tourniquets on my upper arms, and I hold seven and a half pound dumbbells in my hands, and then I do about 20 reps. And then I wait 30 seconds with the tourniquet still on. Then I do 15 reps, rest 30 seconds, 15 reps, rest 30 seconds, 15 reps. So I do a total of four sets, never taking the tourniquet off. And you're probably like, why the hell would anybody do this? What the tourniquet does while you're working out is it allows the blood to enter the working muscle area, but it does not let it leave. Why would anybody want to trap blood in their body? The reason for this is that when you're working your muscles and you're working heavy, part of the reason that your muscles grow or get stronger is because of how much blood is flowing to that muscle. And part of that is lifting heavy weights. But this allows you to lift very light weights, putting very low stress on the joints, but still get tons of blood into the muscle. And this promotes a lot of muscle protein synthesis. And actually in studies has been shown to have a lot of muscle growth using very, very light loads. So you can do this for bicep curls, tricep press downs, leg extensions, leg curls, calf raises, uh, anything like that. That's like an isolation exercise for your arms or legs. And I mean, I suppose you could use them for other leg exercises too, like squats, but I haven't tried it because I feel like I'd probably fall down and it would be horrible. But specifically for injury, you can see how this would be very, very beneficial. You can get back into the game of lifting. You can't do this while you're actively injured, but once you start to get better and you're sort of working your way back in, like we talked about, you can start with 20% of your one rep max and are still able to get the same benefits of exercising with heavier loads in these areas. So if that's something you're more interested in, I know that was a very quick 
sort of strange explanation of it, but it's called BFR training, blood flow restriction training, or occlusion training. And it's mostly been, all of the research has been headed by Dr. Jeremy Lenicky. So you can look him up. Um, it's very, very interesting. You have to prepare to get stared at a lot in the gym. You get the most insane pumps of all time, pumps that hurt. Because the blood is in there and you're repping away, but it can't get out. So some people would think that's dangerous, but there's actually a lot of research to show quite the opposite. So that is another thing that you can do when you're getting back into training. We can make sure to include a link on where to find some more information on that. Yeah, totally. And hopefully that's something that we'll cover in the future on a different podcast. Is that that sort of thing. Some weird training techniques that we have. And in addition to using a lighter load, once you start to get back into the gym, as your muscles are getting back to being 100% restored, it's also really important to be mindful of how you're lifting to not re-injure yourself. Remember that you have an area that's been sensitive before and prone to injury and, you know, continue to build the the muscles around that area. You know, like let's say you have you had have or had a rotator cuff impingement, right? And you can start doing military presses again and, and dumbbell shoulder presses again without feeling any pain in your rotator cuff. All right, great. That's awesome. Do your thing there. But don't forget to maybe do some isolated work on your rotator cuff to make sure that it doesn't get re-injured and to keep strengthening it up. Because your tendons and your ligaments are not going to grow as fast as your muscles are. And it's important to to take care of them, basically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, there's a lot of maintenance that you need to do on your body, just like you would on your car. You don't just wait for parts to break down before you go fix them. You, you know, you get oil changes regularly and, you know, you check your air pressure and your tires all the time just because you don't want something to go wrong. Well, you need to look at your body the same way. Your body's a hell of a lot more important to you than a car, I hope. And, you know, spending time working on your mobility and flexibility and you know stability (laughs) the the little muscle groups that are so so important and so neglected because they're not like beach muscles it's really really important to take the time to give your body the care that it needs outside of the gym to avoid hurting yourself usually in the same spot over and over and over so does yoga count as lifting danny i know we've been trying to get into that and we haven't done it yet does yoga count as lifting? Yeah. Maybe acro yoga counts as lifting. That was fun. Maybe we should be doing that. <laughs> but no, yoga is is absolutely awesome. Uh, I personally prefer the easier like hatha yoga classes because I'm already kicking my ass in the gym all the time. I just want to like stretch and chill when I go to yoga. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> I did think about yoga and I'm like, all right. This is my time to relax. And I remember those times where I've entered classes like that. I'm like, all right, I just beat the shit out of myself for seven days in a row. Let's take a relaxing yoga class. When all of a sudden I'm in these strange, crazy ass poses and I'm like, this hurts worse than the gym. (laughs) I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. (laughs) Be careful of which class, you know, some sort of restorative yoga. Don't underestimate yoga. That that stuff's intense. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you're a muscle bound idiot. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you just, yeah. 
seriously <laughs> oh god all right so that's that's pretty much that wraps up our talk about injury um we would i'd love to hear how you deal with injuries um what sort of injuries have come up and how have you dealt with them i know some of them are easier to deal with than others and i think there's so many different ways to deal with them only a small portion of which we just covered so let us know because i'm always interested to learn more so that i can help other people more so shoot us a message Moving on to our product review segment for today's episode. Uh, I want to talk a little more about the Eastim machine that we got at the Olympia. We picked up one of these, like I said, at Vegas at an oxygen bar. And the likelihood of you having access to that, I would imagine, is slim. So we'll make sure to include a link on where to find these guys. But anyway, I think it's reasonably affordable. If I'm not mistaken, it's probably around maybe $25, $30. It's called the one. I mean, there's lots of different ones out there. The one that we have that I can vouch for is called the, an echo massager and it's got two ports and you know, you plug in the, the cord to the port and it attaches to the sticky pads, which they last for, I mean, eventually they have to be replaced cause they lose their stickiness, but even the pads are, are pretty cheap to replace. I think they're like $2 for a set or something like that. But anyway, um, this one over here has about six different settings. Uh, each one is different type of massage, and the you know you can also adjust the uh, intensity on it. Why don't you explain what it does exactly? It's magic. This little nifty contraption sends electrical impulses to your muscles, causing them to contract and expand and loosen up. So you can get this a very similar effect, not the same effect as say you would from working with a massage therapist or having your partner massage you or foam roll, but you do get a different kind of massage with the, the e-stim. And I do find it to be very helpful for loosening up uh, an injured area or anywhere where you just have a little bit of tightness or discomfort. Now I've, I've noticed uh, a really big difference actually just by doing something as little as five, even as little as five minutes with this machine, you know, I'll, I'll notice the difference throughout the rest of the day where if I have maybe a stiff neck or a tight trap or anything like that, where I just hook this up and it just loosens, loosens your body up just a little bit. So it's not, you know, it's not a cure-all obviously. However, it definitely can complement your restorative and, and rehabilitation processes on any injured area or just general maintenance, basically, when you're constantly breaking your body down. I just want to say that I just checked it out and you can order it on Amazon, actually. It is just called the Echo Massager and it is 50 bucks with free shipping if you have Prime. Now it's time for our Q&A segment for today's podcast. First question comes from Facebook. Does it matter what order you do your exercises in within your training program? For example, this training routine has squats listed first and then front squats second. And I did my front squats first. Will it mess anything up if I switch the order around of my exercises? And are they usually put in a particular order for any specific reason? So it depends on the workout program and who wrote it. 
I suppose. So I can only speak for myself and I'm going to because this is one of my clients. <laughs> so I know that I wrote the, the workout program itself. Um, yes, it matters what order your exercises are listed in, at least in the programs that I write. It does matter. And the reason being is that I prefer to put uh, the biggest exercises at the beginning of the workout, usually big compound movements, which back squats and front squats are both big compound movements. Back squat is just usually heavier than front squat, so that is that is first. One, because it recruits more muscle fibers, and two, because usually a heavier weight is going to require more concentration. Now, if you were to switch them or do different things out of order, it's not the end of the world. It's just that you are probably going, if you do front squats before back squats, there's a good chance that you're going to fatigue your quads before you get to back squats, which could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing depending on what you need to focus on more. You know, if you're the type of person who doesn't engage their glutes and their hamstrings during a back squat usually and you need help doing that perhaps fatiguing your quads beforehand would help you to engage more of your glutes and your hamstrings in your back squat for example so every workout is going to be different every every uh, exercise is going to have a different effect depending on what order that it's in Typically, if someone has written you a workout or you're using like a a workout that you found on like bodybuilding.com or something, they're usually in the order for a reason. I would only really mix stuff up if, you know, like my client said, someone was in the cage that she needed. So she moved stuff around. If you're on a time crunch, then you do what you got to do to get it done. But if you have the time to wait, then I, that's what I would, I would do personally. Okay, our next question is more of a philosophical question than a a health and nutrition and fitness question. And it comes to us on Instagram. And M. Kiv Morgan said, I eat everything, and although I respect everyone's choices to not eat meat, I'm curious why everyone who's vegan or vegetarian chooses to be vegan or vegetarian. Is there any way you could post something up so that I can get a large view and understanding about your lifestyle and choices? So I didn't make a post about this because I I don't like to post stuff that just invites debate, basically, on, on my page. But I am happy to talk about why I became vegetarian or vegan. Um, but I'll let you go first, Giacomo. Sure. Well, being completely upfront here, I did become vegetarian and then vegan for initially for health reasons. I felt that it was potentially a healthier way to live to to go plant-based. The information that I looked up when a friend of mine had a heart attack and I wanted to help them out kept leading to me feeling like going 100% plant-based was the best thing for my health. And and so I made the switch. I mean, mainly, I'd say one of the biggest selling points was dietary cholesterol. And it's not that consuming dietary cholesterol is going to cause you to have heart disease. You know, I mean, your body can metabolize a certain amount of dietary cholesterol, even though technically 
you can survive without it. You don't need it. However, the more, more and more you consume of it, eventually, no matter how active you are, your body can potentially not metabolize it, and then your cholesterol builds up, and that can lead to, to heart disease. So Whereas anyway, that plant-based was... plant-based foods have no cholesterol. Exactly. Cholesterol is only found in animal-based foods. So you can have a cholesterol-free diet if you go vegan. So my reason for going vegetarian and then vegan is pretty much the opposite of Giacomo's. I didn't care about my health at all. It just, I don't want to say I didn't care about my health. It just wasn't something that I ever thought about ever. But animals is something that I thought about often. And one day, I literally remember the day that I was driving around with my mom. And I was like, wait a minute. So some people don't eat meat, right? And she was like, no. And I was like, and meat is animals that they kill for food right then why do I eat it well because that's the way it is and I just even at like seven years old I did not accept that as a reason I remember crying in the car saying if people can live without it then why are we eating it if it kills baby animals and I was just an absolute wreck and basically the answer that I got over and over again was well that's the way it is and side note, my mother is vegan now, just so you know. Um, <clears throat> and I basically decided I didn't want to eat meat anymore right then and there. Now, I still ate lots of eggs and lots of dairy and everything like that. And then uh, basically when I was 17 years old, I was doing a research paper. And I came across a website that fully explained to me the connections between the dairy industry and the meat industry. And you know, I, it never occurred to me, one... It never even occurred to me that dairy cows were being abused. Like, just like everybody else, I thought, like, well, cows make milk, and they need to be milked, and nobody dies to get the milk, so it's not a big deal. Uh, ditto chickens and eggs. But the more I read about it, the more I found out how poorly the dairy cows are treated, and the fact that, no, they don't just make milk. They have to be pregnant to make milk, just like a human woman would need to be pregnant in order to lactate. So they impregnate the cows and then they take the baby cow away and there's veal right there. And, you know, that is basically their entire life. And then when they're spent, meaning they don't produce enough milk to be profitable anymore, they get sent to slaughter to be turned into beef anyway. So I had already given up the beef. And once I realized that the dairy was so intertwined and just as bad, really, I gave that up as well, along with eggs. Basically the same thing. Um, the egg industry, yes, all those chickens have horrible conditions, and any chicken that's born male is basically useless to the egg industry because a male chicken is not going to lay eggs. And a lot of people think, well, they just send those chickens to be processed as meat. But they don't send those chickens to be processed as meat because it's a different kind of chicken. So they just kill the male chicks. Anyway, it's really, really horrible, and that is the reason that I went vegan. And literally within the week of doing research, because that even at 17 years old, that's all I did was research stuff, uh, I found out, you know, that basically we feed so much of the world's food to farmed animals. And when you think about all the people that are starving to death all over the world, it is absolutely sickening to think of how much food we're feeding 
to animals to kill them and eat them. So all around, I just don't see any reason to not be vegan. I see no reason to not be vegan whatsoever. I mean, it's clear that we can thrive, thrive without eating animals or eating animal-based products. There's nothing in them that we're missing. It's absolutely abhorrent to think about the conditions that these animals live in, and I just refuse to contribute to that in any way that I possibly can, and I'm happy to help anybody else to make that transition as well. That got heavy. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> but hopefully hopefully that answers your question. I mean, Giacomo and I both feel the same way about why we're vegan at this point in our lives. You yeah. Know, for I all mean, the reasons. I think however you, you come to veganism initially, it's pretty hard not to embrace the whole lifestyle once you're exposed. Yeah. I, I kind of question how someone can be exposed to all of the atrocities that go on with animal agriculture or even just a little snippet of it and not be affected it, it just blows my mind and i, I and I, I just hate to ju- i don't like to judge at all i mean every i respect everyone's decision to live their life as they see fit i just from a on a personal level i i truly can't understand how some people can just turn a blind eye when they i guess meet their meat for a, a lack of a better expression it's just a cognitive dissonance basically well it's just amazing how powerful that can be i think the hardest thing about being vegan the hardest thing about being vegan is not finding food to eat it's really really not eating vegan food is really really easy (laughs) getting protein is so 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 easy especially now i mean you can you can find just about any comfort food or dish or plate that oh my god when i went vegan there was no vegan cheese nothing (laughs) It was almost impossible to find a vegan protein powder when I went vegan. Yeah. And now there's like vegan cheese shops, artisanal vegan cheese shops. Like my mind is blown at how much things have changed in the past 13 years. Oh, it's crazy. But, but the hardest thing is not any of those. The hardest thing is when you try to show people that you care about and love what really goes on behind closed doors in a completely non-judgmental sort of a way. Um, but when you try to explain it to other people and they just don't seem to care, that, that is the hardest pill to swallow. All right, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Vegan Proteins or at Muscles by Brussels. And we would love to hear your questions. We love to answer them on the show. So feel free to shoot them our way. And if you could also leave us a review on iTunes, it really helps us get more people to see the podcast and help us get this information out there about veganism and fitness and nutrition and all that jazz. So thanks again for tuning in. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And we will talk to you in two weeks. I should